Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Have your Bibles. We're going to be in Genesis 37. Genesis 37. When we think of a child, what do we often think about the attributes of a child? When you stop and you think about a child, we often say things like they have the joy of a child or the childlike wonder we'll talk about. And we love, we, have, we live pretty close to Disneyland, and, and uh, often when children are little, I know with our kids, it was, we talk about there's a certain age where it's really fun to take a child to Disneyland because they, they see it through different eyes, and, and they, 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 you know, Mickey Mouse is waving at me, and all of that, and that childlike faith. They're very, very quick to believe, aren't they? And the Bible talks about that we ought to be as little children having childlike faith, but we think of joy and we think of wonder, we think of faith, we think of of excitement, enthusiasm. It doesn't take much to get a child excited. You know, for for, uh, the older kids get or the older we as adults get, it seems like, you know, at Christmas or at a birthday, you've got to do more and more and more to impress somebody. With a little kid, you get them the littlest dollar dollar, uh, toy store at the the dollar store, a little toy, and maybe even sometimes, depending on the age, at age one, sometimes the cardboard box is all they need for Christmas. A cardboard box will keep them entertained for hours, and and they're easy uh, to be pleased, they're easy to impress, to get excited. The littlest things, hey, we're going to go get an ice cream cone at McDonald's, or whatever it might be, and and kids, I don't, I kind of get excited about that too, but, but kids get excited about those things, and we think of joy, and wonder, and faith, and excitement, and enthusiasm, trust. Sometimes, when we stop to think about adults, what words come to mind? We think sometimes maybe they, they get hardened, jaded. We might use the word cynical at times for folks that have been through life. Hurt, wounded, broken, arm's length, arms, we're going to keep somebody at arm's length where we're not, not as quick to trust. Isn't it true that sometimes The realities of life, the circumstances of life, the experiences of life, the pains and hurts of life can cause us, if we're not careful, to grow a little jaded. We lose that childlike wonder and enthusiasm and faith and joy. It can cause us to become a little bit, uh, I'll trust them a little bit, but I'm just waiting until they're going to hurt me. Kids don't operate that way. And sometimes as adults and sometimes even as children or as teenagers, What can happen is the circumstances of life can cause us, if we're not careful, to grow bitter. Tonight, from the life of Joseph, I want to bring us a message that I've titled, Beating Bitterness. I want to talk to you tonight about one of my favorite Bible characters, which is Joseph. Uh, One of my favorite, David is probably my favorite Old Testament character, but after David, I think it might be Joseph. In the New Testament, it's, it's probably the Apostle Paul. Uh, but, but Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters, and his, his story is amazing. We've been studying Genesis. We're not yet to his story, but we're going to get there soon. This morning in our message in Genesis, we were studying Joseph's grandpa, Isaac. 
and uh, Isaac's going to have, or Isaac has in our passage where we're at already this morning, he has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob, his son, is going to have 12 sons. Joseph is going to be the baby of that family. He's going to be the youngest of 12. Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel after he wrestles with, with the Lord. His name's going to be changed to Israel, and his 12 sons are going to become from their families, as you're reading the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so you have the 12 tribes of Israel. They started out as the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. That's where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. Joseph is the youngest of those children. And Joseph, one day as a teenager, um, probably if we were in today's in American society, he would have been probably a sophomore or junior, we believe, 15, 16, 17 years old. His dad told him, he said, why don't you, son, go out, and most of us know the story of Joseph, but I'll recap it briefly so then we can bring some applications uh, from his life. But, but his dad said, son, why don't you go check on your brothers? Go out and find your brothers, see what they're up to, make sure everything's okay, and come back and give them your report. This was not uncommon back then. There were no cell phones. There was no FaceTime. There was no email. There were no text messages. And so you had to get somebody to go and put their eyes on them and find out. That's what Paul would do in the New Testament. He would send people, and they would send him letters and let them know he would, he would leave someone at a church or send them to a church. Go find out how that church is doing. They couldn't just do a Zoom call like we can today to find out how things are going. And so he sends them out, and while Joseph's walking out, just expecting to go see his 11 brothers, most of us might know the story. What happens? His brothers are there, and they see him coming. Now, Joseph was, had, had a special relationship with his parents, his dad, mom. They had made him a coat of many colors. Uh, God had put his hand upon Joseph. Joseph had interpreted dreams. And they see him coming, and the older brothers didn't like Joseph. Ah, oh, here comes the teacher's pet. Here comes dad's favorite. Oh, here. And what they actually say, if you study the story in Genesis, they say, behold, the dreamer cometh. Oh, here comes that dreamer, the guy that interprets dreams. Here comes big stuff. Here comes big shot. The guy that thinks he's all that. And one of his brothers has the idea as he's coming, they're out there, has the idea, and they said together, let's kill him. Joseph's just doing what he's supposed to do. Obeying dad, going out to check on his brothers, and he doesn't know it, but as he's getting closer, they've hatched a plot to literally murder him that day in that field, in that place. They said, let's kill him. Nobody will ever know. And, and while he's coming, they, what they did was they took him over to a pit, and they threw him in the pit. And it must have been deep enough, and there was no footholds or any way to get out, uh, because they were just going to leave him there to literally starve to death, die of thirst, just to die. It must have been a pretty remote place where his cries would not have been heard. They threw him in the pit and said, we'll just leave him there to die. And, uh, and they go back, and this is who his brothers were. They go back and start having a picnic lunch while maybe, I'm not sure exactly, but I kind of picture it, they can hear him screaming, hey guys, what are you doing? What's, what's going on? What did I do to you? Help, somebody help me. I, I kind of picture that they can still hear him. I don't know how far off they were, but they were close enough that they could see where he was at as you study the story. And so they're eating, and, and they're sitting there eating, and while they're eating, a caravan comes through, a caravan from Egypt is coming through, and one of the brothers has an idea, and it kind of sounds, and if, as you study it, it kind of seems like, well, maybe he had good motives, but when you really stop to study it, it wasn't really good motives, it was even kind of worse motives. So what, what happens is, he says, as he sees him coming, he basically says, hey guys, hey, if we kill him, what do we get out of the deal? We don't get anything, but you know what we could do? 
We could sell him into slavery and we'll never see him again. It'll be just like he's dead. He's going to be taken to another country. He'll never be able to come back home. He'll be sold into slavery. He'll have lived the worst life. So instead of a few days of torture, our brother can have decades of torture and we can make some money off the deal. I don't think it was really a heart of mercy that said, let's keep him alive. I think it was an even more sinister, selfish heart of, you know what? He can be dead to us, and we can benefit from it. We can make some money off of it. This is who Joseph's closest human relationships were. So they sell him into into slavery. They take off his coat of many colors that his dad had made for him, and they tear it up. They, they kill an animal. They dip it in blood. They come back home to their dad, and uh, they come back home to Jacob, and they say, Dad, and they, they, they put on the face. All right, guys, as they're getting ready to the house, all right, everybody, you, gotta, gotta, you all know your parts to play. Hey, I need you to start crying over there, Reuben. And uh, you, you, gotta, you guys ready? All right, we've got Dad, and they come in. I can't believe what just happened. Look what we found. Joseph must have been killed by an animal. Again, think about the heart of brothers that could do this to their brother and to their dad. So now their dad believes that his his youngest son, his baby child, is dead. Joseph has been sold into slavery, left for dead, will never see them again. And then while he's there, while he's in Egypt as a slave, Potiphar, Egypt's leader, realizes there's something special about this Joseph guy. Whatever little area I give him to do, God blesses it, and it goes really well. And you know what? If it were a business, like this employee, he's my top salesman every month. I'm going to promote him to to sales manager, and he's doing great there. I'm going to make him regional manager or district, and then director of sales and international sales, whatever it might have been. This guy, and so Potiphar promotes Joseph to where at this point, the Bible says Potiphar trusted him with everything. And Joseph did well with that trust. Joseph, a man who had been sold into slavery, betrayed by his own brothers, is now, it feels like, God, you let me go through some hard things in life, but this is amazing. Now you've blessed me, you've given me great authority, great leadership, great influence, and at that time, one of, if not the most powerful nations on earth, I'm one of the most powerful people here in this government, everything's going good. Until as a young man, probably somewhere in his early 20s, Potiphar's wife catches Joseph and sees him and says, you know what, I think I'd like to have an inappropriate relationship with him. Man, he's a, he's a handsome guy. He's a high achiever. He's a, an impressive guy. And the Bible says that daily, day by day, she tried to tempt him. And Joseph, a man of integrity, a man that loved God, a man that kept his character, a man that could have given into temptation um, that would have felt good in the moment but would not have been the right thing before God and before his master, his boss, Potiphar. He said no. He resisted that temptation. And, and the Bible tells us there was one day where I don't know if she saw him go into the house by himself, but he was in the house by himself, and, and, and she must have seen it and known, and she goes in and basically says, today's the day that, that I'm going to have an inappropriate relationship with you. And he sees it, and he runs, and by the way, a great thing to do with temptation is not to sit around and reason with temptation, it's to run from it. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you, push away from it, run away from it. The Bible talks about in Proverbs, pass not by it, turn from it, go, pass away, get away from it as quickly as you can. Don't sit around and reason with temptation in your life. Run from temptation. Joseph runs, and another time where a coat is going to come into play in a heartbreak of his story, what happens as he runs, she gets his coat, he gets out of there, and she's left holding his coat. 
And now the wife of the ruler of Egypt comes to her husband, and she gets the sob story on. And she comes and says, you're not going to believe what happened. That guy, that, 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 that young Jewish boy, that, that, that Jewish guy that you brought in, that you've given all that power to, he's come in here, and he tried to take advantage of me. He tried to have his way with me physically, and, I, and I, I started screaming, and he ran away, and I have his coat right here as proof that he tried to do that which was unthinkable to me today. And well, you can imagine what would happen, what, what any husband that had power would do if he thought that a man had just done something like that to his wife. What happened was Joseph was now thrown in prison. For what? What was Joseph thrown in prison for? For doing what was right for being a man of character, for obeying God, for standing for truth, for resisting temptation. Does that seem fair to you? That doesn't seem fair to me. God, I live for you, and you let this into my life? And I did what was right when no one was watching, and this is my reward? And I, I stayed faithful to you when temptation came my way, and now everybody thinks I'm an alleged rapist? And I'm in jail, convicted, and there in jail. Does that seem right? All I did was live for God, and now my reputation, I don't have family. I don't have, now I don't have a job. I don't have a career. I don't have, I can't talk to my, my, my biological family. Everyone that was a friend and that was a business associate will have nothing to do with me now. I'm labeled as an alleged rapist of, of the, one of the most powerful women in the country, and now I'm in jail, all because... He did what he was supposed to do. That doesn't seem right. And then what happened in jail? He made friends with the butler and the baker. He makes friends and, and, and they have a dream and he interprets the dream. And he tells one of them, he says, well, the dream means you're going to die soon. And the other, the other part of the dream means you're getting out of jail soon. One of the guys really liked the interpretation of his dream. The other guy, not so much. And what happened? His dream came to fruition, and he had said to the one that he told him, you're going to get out of jail soon, he said, when you get out of jail, would you remember what I've done for you? Would you tell them the kind of person I am? Would you remember me and put a good word in for me when you get out? Would you get somebody to help so that I can get out of here? And he said, oh, of course I will. You've helped me so much. You're my best friend. And you know what happened when he got out of jail? That guy completely never thought another thing about Joseph. And somebody that he had helped, and somebody that had made promises to him, and somebody that he had invested in, what happens? Completely betrays him. And he's stuck to rot away in jail for another couple of years. Eventually, there's a dream that no one uh, can tell, and, uh, and, and they call Joseph out, and he tells the dream, says, if you can tell it, we'll let you out of jail. And he gets out of jail, and, 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 uh, and, 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 and he goes, and, and the story as it goes, and we'll get to the end of it a little bit in a little bit, but he gets out of jail, and then God begins to bless him again. But for most of his teen years and, and for most of his uh, 20s, we see nothing but hurt and lies and betrayal and unkindness and abuse and prison and disappointment and unfair treatment and pain. Let me ask you this question, I haven't gone into all the details of his story, but based on the way that his brothers treated him, and based on the way that people lied about him, and based on the time that he spent in prison for doing nothing more than doing what was honoring to God, and based on the way friends forgot him, let me ask you this question. Do you think Joseph had any reason to be bitter in his life? 
Do you think Joseph had any reason to be jaded and cynical and angry and holding everybody at arm's length and revengeful? When I get the chance, I'm going to get back at that man. And when I get the chance, if I ever see my brothers again, and if I get the chance, I'm going to, I'm going to let them know she's a liar. I'm not the, and, and vengeful and bitter. Did Joseph have any reason? I would suggest to you that really of almost anybody that I'm aware of their story in life and throughout Scripture, Joseph, more than almost anybody, had reason to cause to be uh, bitter in his life. Tonight, I want us to see the four things in Joseph's life that most often cause bitterness in our lives, and then we're going to look at the four things that will help you to beat bitterness. Because here's the reality, church. We know this intellectually, but we don't often live it. Nothing good ever comes from bitterness. Yet so often, so many of us struggle with it. Nothing good comes from cynicism. From viewing everybody. The Bible says that biblical love, what does it say? Believeth all things, hopeth all things, it suffers long. You know what the Bible says? Christ-like love in us is the opposite of bitterness and revenge and anger, and I'm going to get even. Believeth all things means I believe the best in people, but often when we've been hurt by some people, fool me once, shame on uh, on you, fool me twice, shame on me, meaning I'm not going to let anybody get close enough to me to hurt me again. Oh, I'm not going back to church. I've been hurt by a pastor. I'm not going back to church. I've been hurt by a Christian. I, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, give my heart to someone else here. That person broke my heart. And if we're not careful in our lives, we grow jaded and cynical and angry and vengeful and spiteful and bitter. My father-in-law often says bitterness always destroys its own container. Are you bitter about something or someone tonight? I want you to really think about that. Is there someone that when you pillow your head tonight, is there someone or something, some circumstance that you lay, when you lay down tonight, if you allow yourself to go there, it will cause feelings of anger or of desperation or of heartbreak or of brokenness or of revenge? That person, I hope something bad happens to them. They did this to me. How do you beat that? Someone once said, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. Bitterness never hurts the person we're bitter at. It always hurts us. So what are the four things in Joseph's life that often cause bitterness in our lives? I don't know if I told you where we're turning. I'm in Genesis 37. We're going to get there in just a moment, and I'll put some of the verses on the screen this evening as well. What are the four things in Joseph's life that often cause bitterness in our lives? Number one I see in Joseph's story, the pit, family betrayal. Bitterness toward family. Joseph was cast into the pit. And what is the pit? The pit is a picture of the people that are supposed to love us most hurting us the most. The people that are supposed to care for us and be there for us walking out on us. Have you been betrayed by a family member? It's hard. It's not easy. And if we're not careful, if we don't deal with it, it can bring bitterness in our lives. That sister, that brother, that mom, that dad, that husband, that wife, that aunt, 
That uncle, they did that to me. They, they, they walked out on me that way. They treated me that way. They abused me in that way. The pit is family betrayal. Joseph had a reason to be bitter toward his family members. They had done him wrong. They had sold him into slavery. They had left him for dead. They had lied to his dad and said he was dead. He had all the reason. They had taken him to, to, to where he would never see anybody that he grew up with again. He never thought he would see his dad or his mom. He never thought he would see his brothers or their families. He never thought he would see any friend again. As a teenager, in his teenage years, they completely changed his life. His family betrayed him in such a way that he would never get to enjoy the life that he thought he was going to enjoy. If anybody had a reason to be bitter toward a family member, Joseph did. And in your life and in mine, some of us know what that might feel like. Somebody has, has hurt us or abandoned us or betrayed us in some way, and you struggle with anger, with vengeance, with hatred, with hurt, with bitterness. Genesis 37, verse number 20, the Bible says what they did, come now therefore let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. They lied about him, they mistreated him, and we shall see what will become of his dream. Skip down to verse 23, Genesis 37, and it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped him out of his coat, his coat of many colors, and they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. The pit, a picture of family betrayal. But that's not the only thing that can cause us bitterness. Yes, there, we can sometimes grow bitter toward family, but I see in his life the palace, unfair treatment. And it's a picture of bitterness toward leaders. In the palace, what happened? God had raised him up. Joseph, and I will get there in a minute, I believe Joseph had forgiven his brothers long before he ever saw them again. And I believe, I believe maybe somewhere in the pit or on the way to Egypt, somewhere early on, Joseph said, I'm not going to let bitterness overtake my life. And so he's living right. He's doing right. He's standing for right. He's still following. Uh, the, he says, I can't do this with you to Potiphar's wife. I can't do this in, in the sight of God. His faith in God is strong. He's doing what's right. And God has blessed him. And then what happens? Somebody very powerful in his life lies against him, destroys his life completely changes his life again. Now he's labeled a criminal. He's in prison. He has no job. He has no income. He has no future. Who's going to marry a guy like that? Who's going to be acquainted with a guy like that? He's got nothing. He's got no family, no friends, no support system. And in the palace, we see he could have grown bitter toward his leaders. The people he had served with lied about him, ruined his reputation, threw him in prison. His leaders acted in ways that he knew were sinful. And here's the thing, they got away with it. Potiphar's wife got away with it. She won. She was the wicked one. And she prospered. He was the righteous one. And he suffered. Sometimes people get bitter at leaders, whether it's at school, a teacher, a principal, a boss, at church, a pastor, because they know their hypocrisy. That pastor, that youth leader, that teacher, that principal, that boss, that coworker, that supervisor, he's, he's lying. He's not telling the truth. I'm, I'm the one working hard, and he's getting the promotion. I'm the one faithful to God, and, and, and that pastor did me wrong, and nobody knows what that religious leader did in my life. And it can be in any arena of life that leaders uh, can, can do wrong, and they can sin, and they can be hypocrites, and sometimes seem like they get away with it. By the way, God is keeping track. None of them get away with it. But it can seem that way, can it? 
And you can grow bitter toward leaders in your life. Do you know anybody that's grown bitter toward a leader in their life? There are complete books and podcasts and websites started by people that have grown bitter toward leaders in their lives. Have you grown bitter toward a leader that mishandled something in your life? They did it wrong, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. Maybe you think it was intentional and they would say it was unintentional. Maybe you know it was intentional. I don't know. Joseph had a reason to grow bitter toward his leaders, and yet we see that he didn't. He kept a right spirit. People get bitter at authorities in their lives because the authority gets away with bad behavior, and that person ends up getting in trouble for something they didn't do. That was Joseph's story. It says in Genesis 39, verse number 17, and she spake unto him according to these words, saying, the Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me, and it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out, and it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife which she spake unto him, saying, after this manner did thy servant to me, and his wrath was kindled. She told her husband, he, 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 he tried to abused me physically, and he got angry at Joseph and threw him into the prison. Some people won't darken the doors of a church because a spiritual leader hurt them. And by the way, I'm not, cover, I'm not justifying or covering for spiritual leaders that act sinfully. The Bible says that, that, the Bible says those that do, elders that, that do that should be rebuked publicly. It shouldn't be swept under the rug, but some of you have seen hypocrisy in church. You've seen sinfulness in church. You've seen hypocrisy at work. You've seen hypocrisy in your family. You've seen hypocrisy in your workplace. You've been mistreated. And if it, it, some of you, it might be something current, and for others, it might be something a year or five or 10 or 20 or more ago, and you're still struggling with it. It still has a hold in your heart. You're still struggling with those feelings of anger, of brokenness, of vengeance, of bitterness in your life. Number three, I see... Where can we grow bitter? The prison is a picture of undeserved circumstances. And you know who we can grow bitter toward? We can grow bitter toward God. Can't we? I lived for you. I gave my life to you. I followed your word. I did what was right when no one was watching. And where did, where did I end up? In prison. Did Joseph, humanly speaking, did Joseph have a reason to be bitter toward God? Humanly speaking, I would say yes. And I think spiritually speaking, of course, no. It wasn't God's fault that man sinned. But sometimes we feel that way, don't we? I tried living for God, and this is what came into my life? I gave my life to you, and you let this challenge in my family, and you let this heartbreak come, and you let that person hurt me, and you let this physical ailment into my life, and you let that financial reversal there? God, I look at those people that I grew up with, and they never gave their lives to you, and their life's on easy street, and my life's here. Why would you allow that? And we get bitter toward God. Joseph had a reason to get bitter toward God. What he viewed as undeserved circumstances, undeserved consequences, circumstances in his life that didn't match the way that he had lived. He resisted temptation and showed integrity and character and ended up with a prison sentence as his reward. From a human perspective, that's not fair. And you know, sometimes following God doesn't always seem fair. I got that call from the doctor. 
We had, we had that challenge we didn't see coming there. We had that heartbreak, that heartache. I, I never got to enjoy that joy. I never got to, to, to have that in my life or this, and you've brought this into my life and this hardship. Verse number 20, the Bible says, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Those are undeserved circumstances. Be careful. When what you feel are undeserved circumstances come, be careful you don't grow bitter toward God. And then the fourth thing, fourth area Joseph could have gotten bitter, the prison is also a picture of fake friends. And we can grow bitter toward friends in our lives. The people who said they would be there for him weren't when he needed them the most. They let him down. They forgot about him. Chapter 40, verse number 14, the Bible says, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. When you get out of jail, remember me and help me get out of jail, because I don't belong here. Verse 21, And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership. Again, I'm in chapter 40, verse 21. And he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. He was literally by Pharaoh every day giving him food. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. The butler he had helped was there every day, and he could have helped Joseph, and all he cared about was himself. You know what will happen? If you have friends in life at times, they're going to let you down. They're going to hurt you, and by the way, before you get too hard on them, you're going to let some of them down sometimes too. And you're going to hurt them, and so will I, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And it's easy to grow bitter at people that were supposed to be there for us, but forgot all about us. Didn't treat us the way they promised us that they would. We can grow bitter in our lives toward family, family betrayal. We can grow bitter toward our leaders. We can grow bitter toward God. We can grow bitter toward friends. He's single, in prison for rape, broke with no job, no wife, no family, almost 30 years old. Family did him wrong. Friends did him wrong. Leaders did him wrong. Did Joseph have a reason to be bitter toward family, toward leaders, toward God, toward friends? I would say to you 100% yes. And here's what I want to say. This was all introduction. I'll give us the four thoughts and we'll be done. Here's what I want to say. Everyone in this room, in one or more of those areas, you could find a reason to humanly justify bitterness in your life. Every one of you. You've seen human weakness. You've seen sinfulness. You've seen hypocrisy. Maybe some on greater levels than others. Maybe some have been hurt more deeply than others in certain relationships. But every person in this room, every person watching online, every person listening to this on a podcast somewhere down the road could find a reason, humanly speaking, to be justified in your anger, in your bitterness, in your vengeance, in your unforgiveness, your bitterness toward family, your bitterness toward leaders, your bitterness toward God, your bitterness toward friends. Every one of us could find that. So what does the rest of Joseph's life look like? I just gave you the first half of his life, or really less than the first half, but kind of what we would look at as kind of those formative, important years. This is what he had from about 15 to about 30. This was his life. What does the rest of Joseph's life look like? What if I told you that Joseph ended up being one of the most powerful and wealthiest men on earth? He got married. Didn't think that was coming. 
God gave him kids and grandkids. That didn't seem possible at certain points in his life. He was reunited with all his brothers and his parents. That seemed impossible. He had a successful career. He died being known and loved by hundreds of family members. And from his family, eventually, God would send Jesus Christ to earth. How does all of that happen? I would suggest to you tonight, it was because he chose not to get bitter. He beat bitterness in his life. And it doesn't matter what you've been through or what I've been through or what we're going through now. Our life story isn't told, and God has more blessings ahead of us than we could ever imagine if we will handle our hurts correctly and not allow bitterness to destroy you. Is there anybody you know that they've grown old and they've either died or they're in their, in their, in their later years and they're just bitter, angry, grumpy people? What happened? They allowed the hurts of life to destroy years of their lives. And all, that could be all of us if we're not careful. So how did Joseph beat bitterness, and how can you and I beat bitterness? Chapter 41, I'm skipping through a story because it's several chapters long. We'll study it in a little more depth in the coming weeks in our Genesis study. But Genesis 41, look at verse number 51, if you will. Genesis 41, verse number 51, he gets married at the age of 30. He has a son. I want you to see what he names his firstborn son. I think it gives us a little insight into how Joseph beat bitterness. I'm going to give you four thoughts on how you beat bitterness because all of us have reasons we could grow bitter and angry and jaded and cynical. And that's not the life God wants us to live. Genesis 41, verse number 51, and Joseph called the name of his firstborn, what did he call the name of his firstborn church? Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Wow. God gives him Manasseh. God gives him a son, and he names him Manasseh, and he says, because God has allowed me to forget. What does it mean when he says forget all my toil? All those bitter years. All those challenging years, all those tears, all those heartbreaks. And what does he say? And all my father's house. What what does his father's house represent? The deepest pain, the most life-impacting, life-changing betrayal of his life. And what what, what do I suggest? What are the four ways we beat bitterness? Number one, I would suggest to you, number one, a renewed focus. A renewed focus. Manasseh said, God has caused me Did you see that word there? To forget. That's an interesting word. What do we say in our vernacular? We often say forgive and? Forgive and what? Forget. Is that humanly possible? It's not, is it? There's no magic drink you can drink or glasses you can wear or brain sensors you can put on and say, hey, doc, on this date, this thing, bad thing happened to me. I want you to erase that memory from my mind. You can't do it. And yet, yet, Joseph here says, God has caused me to forget. Does that mean he didn't remember the pain? I would suggest to you, the Bible shows us that's not true. Because when his brothers come, later on, miraculously, I'm not going to have time to get into all of it, but later on, God sends his brothers there, and Joseph's in a position of power now over his brothers. And you know what happens when his brothers come? He shows, he breaks down into tears. He has deep emotions. Why is that? Because he still remembered what had happened. 
Paul said this in, in the New Testament. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. What was behind Paul? There was, there was hurt, there was stoning, there were shipwrecks, there were co-laborers that had for, for, forsaken him. He had put Christians to death. There was all of these regrets and scars. And Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Did that mean that Paul didn't remember all the bad things that he had done and all the bad things that had been done unto him? The Bible's very clear, no. He remembered it because he talked about it at times in his testimony. What does it mean when Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind? What does it mean when Joseph says, God has caused me to forget all my toil in all my father's house? What it means is they made a conscious choice. I am not going to let that hurt in my past define my future. I'm making a choice. I choose, here's what it means. I choose not to dwell on. I have a new focus. Paul said, I can focus on the ways I've hurt the church, or I can focus on Christians I can help in the church. I can't do both. Paul said, I can focus on my past, or I can focus on what God has for my future. I can't do both. And here, Joseph says, I can focus on my new family God's given me. I can focus on my little boy, Manasseh. I can focus on my beautiful wife, or I can focus on my brothers that hurt me. I can focus on Potiphar's wife that, that lied about me, or I can focus on my wife that loves me. What is he saying? I have to choose what I will focus on. If you're going to beat bitterness in your life, you're going to have to choose what you're going to dwell on. Choose what you're going to bring to the forefront of your memory. Choose what you're going to sit in and ponder. You're going to have to choose those things. Hey, what, what, what Joseph's saying here is, I'm not going to focus on what I've lost. I'm going to focus on what I have left. That was a statement that Pastor Bill Prater in his Walking Through Grief Sunday said. Bill Prater's son, I think early 30s, passed away, leaving behind a wife and three precious little girls, I think ages like four, two, and one. And Bill Prater said, I had to choose, there had to come a place and a time where I had to choose. I wasn't going to focus on what I lost. Now, he still remembers, and at times still grieves, and at times still cries. They lost their son that they loved dearly. They had three children, two boys. His other son will be here preaching in a couple of weeks. But he said, I had to choose to focus on, I wasn't going to focus on what I lost, but what I had left. He said, I was going to destroy the relationship with my remaining two children and their kids by just dwelling in the over, un, unbearable pain of the one child I had lost. So I had to come to a place that I said, God, you've got to help me to focus on what I have left, not what I've lost. And you and I are going to have to come to a place that we choose not to dwell on what we've lost, but on what we have left. I'm not going to focus on my hurt. I'm going to focus on my healing. I'm not going to focus on the family that hated me. I'm going to focus on the family that I now have to love. And Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. You can either focus on your hurts, or you can look ahead and see who you can help. You can't do both. Can I say that one more time? You can either focus on your hurts in the past, or you can focus on the future and who's around you and who you can help today. You can't do both. You know what Paul said in Acts chapter number 20? He said, all I know is I serve God as I'm going to be hurt and get, get hurt some more. Here's what he said, but none of these things move me, neither count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. I can focus on my hurts, or I can finish my course with joy. I can't do both. And the same is true for you. Have you been hurt? Sure. Will you be hurt again? Yes. Do I like it? No. 
but you're going to have to choose your focus. He said, I have a renewed focus. Some of you are focused on, on your parents' marriage that failed, or the way a leader let you down, or the way your own marriage failed, or, or the way your loved one hurt you, or a circumstance in life, that a prayer that God never answered. How do you beat bitterness? God, I'm going to focus on the ones you've given me to love, not on the ones who have not loved me the way that they should have. Look at the next verse, chapter 41, verse number 52. And the name of the second called he, so he has Manasseh, the name of the second called he, Ephraim, look what he says, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Number two, how do you beat bitterness? Not only a renewed focus, but a renewed purpose. A renewed purpose. What did he say? God has caused me to be fruitful here. I have a new purpose here in Egypt. I have a new purpose here with this family. God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. What was the land of Joseph's affliction? Where did it start? It started with his family, didn't it? Started with his family that hurt him the worst. And what does he say? The thing that caused the greatest hurt is now my greatest purpose. My family caused me the greatest hurt. Now God has given me a family that is my purpose. It's a beautiful verb, turn of phrase there. He has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God can give you, Paul said, reaching forth into those things which are before, I have a renewed purpose. I, I have a renewed focus. I'm not going to focus on the past, and I'm now going to press toward the prize, for the, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God can give you a renewed purpose, a great purpose, a great life, but it will never happen as long as you're looking back on the way you wish things had gone differently. I was at that teen camp three weeks ago. The leader of that teen camp, he's been here before with his wife. His name is Anwar Ali. Some in this room would know him. Anwar I met when he was a teenager. He came to our Christian school, I think as a sophomore or junior. He was there for two or three years. I had the privilege to coach him in high school basketball. Anwar, he grew up, he was, uh, he was raised by a single mom. Anwar's name is Anwar Ali. His dad's name literally was Muhammad Ali. He was a, a Muslim man from Somalia. I coached Anwar for two or three seasons. Never one time did his dad show up to one of his games. His mom actually rarely would come to his games. I think as a single mom, she had a lot going on, and she would come to some. And I thought about it, and I told the teenagers this while we were there, on island, on the island of Kauai, an island, I think the population is around 50,000 people, a pretty small island. Anwar has made an unbelievable impact in the lives of teenagers. And you know what he could have done? He could have sat there and said, my teen years were messed up because my dad wasn't who he should have been in my life. He walked out on my mom, and he was unfaithful to my mom, and he left my mom with me and my little brother, my, my brother Sam, my older brother Sam, when we were just little, three and four years old, and he left us without a dad. And you know what? I can be angry and bitter, and you know what Anwar has chosen to do with his own family? Now God's given him a wife and five children. With his own family and with teenagers, he's invested and poured his life into scores of teenagers. And now there are teenagers. He started that teen camp. I preached it the first time 10 years ago. And now I came back for the 10-year anniversary. And, and there were multiple teenagers that are now youth workers on his youth team that were junior hires and teenagers. I mentioned that story this morning about the girl that married the guy. The guy was a teenager, and now he's one of their youth leaders and doing a great job. And, and those Almwars brought up, and in the land of his affliction as a, 
as a young person that was hurt by leaders, that was hurt by family, he said, I'm not going to focus on that. God's given me a renewed purpose. I'm going to be the dad that I didn't have to my children, and I'm going to love some teenagers and be there for them in ways that I wish people might have been there for me. He said, I'm not going to focus on my hurts. I'm going to focus on a renewed purpose. Chapter 45, we're almost done. Chapter 45, verse number 4. The Bible says in Joseph, so this is where his brothers, there's a famine in their land. Um, God has blessed Joseph. He's now overseeing second in command of the most powerful country on earth. He's unbelievably powerful and wealthy. And his brothers come to get food. They have no idea Joseph's still alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren, so they've come, they've asked for food, and I I don't have time to tell the whole story, but now he's going to reveal himself to them. Joseph said unto his brethren, chapter 45, verse 4, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Imagine being those guys. They look at each other. What? Who's this guy? They obviously, it's been decades. They didn't recognize him physically. He's grown. He's matured. They didn't realize it. They've been in front of him multiple times. Before he'd used the translator, he didn't speak to them in their language. He was speaking to them in Egyptian, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't understand, but did somebody tell this guy about what we did to our brother? That's not Joseph. Wait, kind of does look like his nose. That, he has that same dimple. That, that's Joseph. Oh, we're in trouble now. We're, we're done. We're not going home. We're getting thrown into prison. He's probably going to kill us. We're done. By the way, I'm not just making that up. We know that's true because they said some things, and we're going to see it in chapter number 50. They said some things where they, they were scared to death decades later of what Joseph could do to them. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt, verse 5. Now look at this. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. What a perspective. Verse 6, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earring nor harvest, and God sent me, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Egypt, come down unto me, tarry not. What do you see here from Joseph's response? What a perspective. What I would say to you, how do you beat bitterness? Number three, real forgiveness. That perspective does not come if you're holding anger and animosity and bitterness in your heart. Joseph had forgiven them, and by the way, nowhere do we see them asking Joseph for forgiveness. Some of us justify our anger because, well, they've never apologized. Your anger is not justified. God forgave your sin long before you acknowledged your sin. And we're supposed to forgive as, as Christ, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. 
What happens here? It's real forgiveness. He says, hey guys, don't worry about it. God sent me here to help you, but we tried to kill you. Don't worry about it. You thought you were trying to kill me. God was using your wicked actions to help you and your family and to help my dad. Go tell dad I'm alive. Bring him back fast. Hey guys, I love you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you. I've got no animosity, no bitterness, nothing in my life. And by the way, humanly speaking, Joseph, he was powerful enough. I believe he could have cast every one of them into prison for a life sentence. I think probably in that culture, if he wanted to, he could have had them executed on the spot. He could have ended their lives right there. He could have gotten vengeance if that's the way he had been living for the last couple of decades, but that wasn't where he was. He got victory with him and God. He got victory and said, God, I don't know if I'll ever see them again, but I forgive them. God, I forgive Potiphar's wife. God, I, I, I trust you even though I didn't like being in that prison. God, I forgive the butler. I forgive them. Who do you need to forgive tonight? You've pushed it aside, you've pushed it back into the recesses of your heart, but you haven't truly gotten victory. When it comes back up, it's a trigger. There's a, there's a feeling, a, a gut visceral reaction. That person. Maybe there's tears right when you think about it. You haven't gotten victory. I would suggest to you we need real forgiveness. It's been said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and realize the prisoner was you. Let me give you the last way that Joseph beat bitterness. I love this passage of Scripture. Turn to the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50, and we'll be done. Genesis 50, verse number 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Isn't it interesting how we project our heart, <laughs> our heart condition on other people? So here's what's happened. Joseph's dad died. Jacob, Israel's dead. Joseph's dad's dead. And the brothers, they've all been living some really good lives in Egypt. They got really good jobs. In the, in the kingdom, they got, they got choice land, they got really good stuff because of who Joseph was, and they've been enjoying some great things. And then dad dies. And because they had been living with guilt for what they had done for decades, they couldn't fathom Joseph had really forgiven them. And so what happens is dad dies and they say, hey guys, now the other shoe's going to drop. Dad's not alive to keep Joseph from doing what he wants to do to us. He's probably, if he's anything like us, he's going to get even with us. So they make up a story. This, they're still conniving. They're still deceitful. They're still liars. They make up a story and they say, hey, let's send a messenger unto Joseph and say, um, hey, hey uh, right before dad died, he told all of us on his deathbed, forgive all your brothers and, and make sure you're nice to them. Now, by the way, the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere that that actually happened. I, I believe by reading it in context, it was just them, again, trying to connive and deceive and trying to manipulate relationships for their own good. He, and they say, they say, he's going to get back with us. Verse 16, and they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, thy father did command before he died, saying, so shall you say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. They didn't believe that, that Joseph really could have forgiven them, for they did unto the evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept 
when they spake unto him. They, they, they didn't even really, they didn't even really come with repentant hearts. They tried to manipulate, not Joseph, we're sorry, would you forgive us? Joseph, dad told you to forgive us. Manipulate Joseph into forgiving them. Some of the most powerful verses in scripture are coming up. Verse number 18, it says, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we be thy servants. They basically said, you have the power now. You can do whatever you want to us. Verse number 19. Would you read verses 19 and 20 aloud with me? And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Look at verse 21. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Wow. The Bible says in verse 22, Joseph dwelt in Egypt, and Joseph lived in 110 years. What do we see in Joseph's life? 15 years of brutal pain, hurt, betrayal, but because he handled it well, 80 years of blessing. Decades of blessing. I love it in this passage. It talks about, I think it's the next verse or two. It says um, in, verse, uh, in verse number 23, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation and the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. Joseph never thought he would enjoy the joys of family again. He never thought God could bless him with those things that he had lost because of things that have been done unto him. But what did he say? Joseph said, don't worry about it, guys. He began to cry. I can't believe you guys think I would hurt you. Guys, I trust God through all of this. And that leads me to my fourth thought. How do you beat bitterness? Real faith. You have to look at those deep pains that you don't understand, those deep hurts that you never asked for, and you have to trust that God meant it unto good, that God can use it for good. You know sometimes the greatest doors of helping people open because of the hurts you walk through. Pastor Jay, much of your ministry today and the people you're able to help today are because of some of the hurts that you and Brenna and challenges and maybe undeserved circumstances that you and Brenna have walked through. And God has opened up a whole new door of help and healing in your own lives and the lives of others. I, get, I, I travel and I talk to pastors and others that say he was such a help to our church and he's been a help to me. You know that you're often better equipped to help people when you've walked through similar pain? Miss Gloria, you walk through and you're still in some levels walking through your cancer journey and you know you have a deeper heart and love and compassion for those walking through something similar and Keith you understand the pain of a, of a spouse walking through that, and God has allowed you. I know you've used that to help others, and I believe in years to come even more because of some of the hurts you've walked through. God has used you to help others. Now, that only happens, though, if you really believe God can take some of the darkest moments of your life to cause you to give the most light. That's what he said here. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. To save alive many people. God let me hurt for a short season so I could help millions of people. What does that take? That takes faith. 
God, I trust that you can use this pain to help me and help others. How do you beat bitterness? All of us have a reason. We can grow bitter at family. We can grow bitter at leaders. We can grow bitter at God because of the undeserved circumstances. We can grow bitter at friends because of the way they've hurt us. And all of us will have opportunities and multiple opportunities. Joseph had multiple opportunities to grow bitter over the course of decades. All of us will have those opportunities. But if we don't, God might just have unbelievable influence ahead for us. And unbelievable joys, they were brought up on Joseph's knees. Unbelievable fulfillment, unbelievable blessing for 80 years when he thought his life was over at age 30. God might just have decades of fruitfulness in the land of our affliction. He might just have a, a, new, a new focus that will cause us to forget all of our toils and all of our Father's house. But what do we have to do? We have to have a renewed focus. I choose not to dwell on this hurt. I choose not to bring it to the forefront. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press forth to those things which are before. Reaching forth in those things where I press toward the mark. A renewed focus. God caused me to forget all of that. A renewed purpose. He caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. The place where I was caused the most pain, God used me to bring the most help. Real forgiveness. Is there somebody you need to forgive this morning or this evening? Real forgiveness. They might not ask for it. His brothers never did. He said, guys, I forgave you a long time ago. I'm not holding any animosity. Real faith. God, I trust you, even though I don't like this. I trust that you can allow it in my life to help others. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.